Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one. 23, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week 4, all go-to-market team kickoff and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment. Weeks 5 to 7, collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset. Week 8, all go-to-market team presentation and discussion. Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brent and say Big Pete sent you. Um, I I don't think we have because there's two things right there. Think it'll kill job boards? So why, right, so that's a question. So why do you think it'll kill job boards? Aren't job boards dead anyways? Well, all job all job boards are, are meeting places and selling access to the people you've harnessed, right? Is that what a job board is? Yeah. Um... So I guess however you can harness people, if you're good with if you're good with constant contact or some way of harness, you know, keeping all those contacts together. Uh, you know, and ever, you know, if your network is good, I think job boards are good for people that have lower level jobs that aren't sophisticated, have a bad network, possibly. Do you use job boards? Um, no, but okay, I, why don't you? I'm not in the market right now. Okay, well, not a lot of other people are in the market right now. How's the uh, economy out there? The economy's coming back, I think. I think there's some legs. We're gonna we're gonna have a uh, record breaking quarter. Now is that stuff that's been put off, put off, put off, and finally? All right. So here's where I'll say the economy's coming back in pockets. If you're involved in, you know, there's always a fad with the market, right? Yeah. But um, there are some industries that aren't going to come back for a while or if ever. And then there's some that are going to come back. The reality is, um, I think everyone's jumping on the uh, AI bandwagon. And the reality, AI all comes down to data. If you have the data, you have AI. If you have AI without the data, then you're really nothing. And so we're picking up a lot of steam at our company because we have the data. And a lot of people have asked us over the years, your name's People AI, where's the AI? We're starting to add the AI finally. Like there was a lot of behind the scenes AI in terms of matching that 
um, you know, we're reading emails and matching the right thing to the right people to the right. That was the domain you could find. <laughs> what? Yeah. But now we're actually adding a lot of AI. So what we're doing, you know, like one of the things in terms of RevOps is, uh, you know, teaching the RevOps people how to fish. So we're using our AI to sort of bubble up insights rather than use our AI with all the matching and the data and show them another dashboard and hope they can find the insights. Instead, we're going to bubble up, all, we're starting to bubble up all that stuff going, hey, based on trends, here's something you should look at. Here are people that have, here are the different profiles within the organization that have accelerated deals. Maybe you should look for this. It looks like procurement hasn't been involved on in these deals. And instead of you going through and looking for that signal, we bubble up that signal. So it's like teaching a you're, So you're a signal bubbler? We're a signal bubbler. <laughs> but no, that's AI, right? So we're going to show them. Instead of you going to a dashboard, eventually you're going to get to a point where you go to this place and it sort of tells you what you need to, here are the things you need to look at and drives you to a dashboard if you want to deep, deep dive because AI is only going to be so smart a human needs to decipher all of it. So those are the companies that are going to start thriving are the data companies. And data has been a hot topic for years, but now with AI, uh, data is really important. It's funny, Google and Apple did their um did their 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 product releases their quarterly releases whatever it was and um google mentioned ai like 176 times and apple didn't mention ai once and people are like so is ai a fad right and they're using that as a comparison and i'm like no apple is a product company Google is a data company, and any data company needs AI to make themselves more relevant in today's market. Here, I'll tell you if it's a fad or not. Does anybody have access to Upwork or Freelancer to see how how they're doing with these 1099 postings? Because a lot of this AI stuff, just looking at the graphic designers, of which I'm getting more involved in, I can't see ever using a graphic designer again. Oh, you're saying like, is it a fad because are these people going away or are these people looking for more? Well, artificial intelligence, you're saying, is it a fad? It's not a fad because people can use it. I, I'm giving the example where I would have to go on Fiverr or Upwork or Freelancer and pay somebody in Pakistan $10 an hour to put something together and then I would have to go back and forth and give iterations, just like I have to do with artificial intelligence. I will never use them again. Don't don't need to. So I would think the you know those posts it really look. Hey, hey, so you've been using it. Does it look that good? Have you? I've used it uh, like Jesus. Uh, what would Jesus do? You didn't see that post. I think I did. That was that was done through artificial intelligence. That was last week, Carney. Why don't you take a little look at it? I know, but that was done through um... AI. Yeah. Hmm. 
What would Jesus do? You have a territory dispute. <laughs> right? That looks pretty good. I mean, uh, an ethnic sport. I'm looking at it right now. Go ahead, play it. Really Let's have idea. a an um, ethics board of Jesus, uh, Mahatma Gandhi. See, what I was thinking, Marcus, just from a sales perspective, there's always been issues where something happens where two reps are given the same account by accident. Yeah. One started progress, one came in and closed it out. How could we ask this board of of beings asking them what is the right thing to do yeah to find a situation ask each rep what's their understanding it's fucking mine <laughs> to that prompt and say based on the above and you can only pick one what which which would jesus pick but like so the design was all done as yeah. well. Yeah. Interesting. I've seen I've seen apps like that. I, I did see the post. I didn't watch it. Um but well, that's very encouraging for this podcast, Carney. It really is. Dude, i we have a board. No topics. No, don't even watch it. <laughs> You're we such an endorsement. <laughs> we have a board meeting this week. All right, so let's talk about some topics. Okay. Okay, you got a board meeting this week. We have board meetings. Could you get your mouth out, out of the microphone? Yeah, I'm trying to write down. Board meeting. Topic one. All right. Um, do we want to do chat GBT again? Well, if you're having a board meeting, what are you preparing? Okay, what do you prepare for a board meeting? Let's start with that. All right. Do you want to do you want to ask me questions and I answer or how I'm do we want saying to... you got a board meeting coming up and wouldn't you want to like trial what you're going to say in front of the board so what why don't you make your own board with Oh that's a great point. So first of all, what you do mid-quarter board meetings like we have a mid-quarter board meeting. Probably we spent um you spend a good and two you have weeks. a mid-quarter board meeting so you have the board of directors coming in in 6 weeks. It was uh, mid-quarter because, like, our fiscal quarter ended due to timing. It wasn't due, like, we haven't had a, we didn't have an end-of-quarter Q1 board meeting. This is a mid-quarter board meeting because we had events and things of that nature. The good thing is, in a really bad quarter, everyone else in their portfolio is probably telling them bad news. So if we go in with bad news, it's not like they haven't heard it before and we're the first people. You know, it's like... Oh, here's the radio again. But we're actually having a really great quarter. So that's a good thing. The one thing, though, that you spend a lot of time on before a board meeting is your forecast, right? How do you substantiate your forecast? So you have to go through the whole forecast rigmarole of trying to understand what deals are happening, what deals aren't happening, and can you back up what you're going to claim? And, and look at that with a fine-tooth comb because – that's what board members are going to hone in on is not only how are you doing this quarter and last quarter, but do I trust you moving forward to do what you say you're going to do? The great thing is we did role playing yesterday. 
Um, so we, uh, the bad thing is board meetings take out probably a week plus of productivity of any leader because you're spent looking at the numbers over and over and over again. The good thing is when you do role playing, guess what comes into play? What? Chat GBT. So I went to OpenAI. I was the pretend board member. And I wrote up questions saying, based on pipeline creation struggles, based on the uh, macro economy, based on uh, Venture uh, VP Series 5 um, or Series D um, uh, investor, what type of questions would I ask for this? And that populated a bunch of questions. Then I kept asking the chat GBT different things while my executive team was um, was uh, doing like a, a a dry run, and it was spitting out questions that I was then tweaking to work within our company. So Chat GBT is a great role player bounce back to sort of say, how would you answer this question? Because for me, acting like a board member when I've compiled all of the data and slides and analysis is very difficult because I know too much. So instead I can send it to ChatGBT and say, what would ChatGBT say when they don't know as much? So we use that quite heavily. What is your frame of reference then? Like who I, I would look at the I would look at the slides because that's what the board sees and say, based on this, this, and this for data points on the slides. And based on this profile, which you first set up in your chat GBT, what would be typical questions asked? And then it would give me, it, it honestly gave me like 10 questions and then I would pick and choose which ones I would ask while my executive team was going through uh, their dry run. Well, let's just say you didn't have chat GPT. Like what would you, how would you prepare for a board meeting? When I say uh, you, meaning like a, a head of sales, the chief revenue officer, what what are you doing to prepare? Well, it really depends on who you are, right? If you're a head of sales, your entire focus is going to be on what type of, uh, what was our performance last quarter in a sales uh, uh, perspective? Did we hit the numbers we said we were going to hit? So it's not about missing plan, but it's about missing forecast. Did I predict correctly of what we were going to do? If I didn't, what were the factors that contributed to that? And how am I addressing those for the next quarter or next couple quarters to ensure that those issues don't return? Um, if I'm ahead of sales, I'm also looking at uh, rep productivity, but also rep participation. Those are two different things. You can have one rep that crushes it and your productivity looks decent. But at the end of the day, your participation could be shitty because you have some reps crushing it and a lot of reps not participating at all. And that is a bad situation to be in because it turns into a really bad culture. <laughs> Um, you know, you have some reps. I mean, we have some reps at every company that says the only reason why this person is crushing is because this person has the best accounts. <laughs> if you rewind three years ago when that person. You rewind 50 years ago. They, they've always said that. 
I know. But even if you rewind two or three years ago, when, especially in enterprise sales, where it takes a while for these things to get going, I bet you three years ago, the people that are crushing it today at certain companies are um, working accounts that everyone said had no chance. They were probably given accounts that were, that people were like, good luck, Godspeed. We've tried to sell to them in the past and they won't, they won't buy. And now these people, now these companies are turning it around. So you got to give these reps credit, but there's always reps that are going to be knocking down the person on the totem pole. Right. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at some of these accounts, I feel like the exact same message is going on right now. We've got some really early seeds with some really huge companies. If this rep who uh, one of these reps came in and, and everyone said, don't even bother trying to sell to this company. And I'm not going to say who the company is, but it's huge. Yeah. Uh, you'll never get through security. You'll never get through this. You'll never get through that. Well, this rep a year later is about to land this deal. And if he lands this deal and it executes correctly, he could probably sit back for the next two or three years and just make a million dollars off this one account for three years. And guess what all the reps will say? Well, this guy or girl is killing it because he's got the best account. Well, he didn't have the best account when he started. Pre preconceived notions. That gets to putting notes in the into the CRM. Should there be well, notes in the CRM? I think everything nowadays needs to be automated. Yeah. So why? Objective, like they'll never buy. They'll never. Oh, horrible person. But you know what I mean? They're yeah. Every. I think. I think you automate everything you can in the CRM. I understand the CRM is your your go to market fuel. But you should automate everything and make it as easy for a rep to uh, to update anything in the CRM that you need. That goes for meetings. That goes for um, who you're talking to. But also a recap. Why why do I need to ask a rep to log in and do a recap when I could just maybe ping them and say, "Tell me what happened," and you could just voice it and it gets added into your. Uh, your CRM, make it easy I, for them to, uh, to update. But my point is, you know what I'm talking about? When they put in Salesforce, oh, this guy's a jerk. He, he's a real a-hole, that type of stuff. And then people yeah, read that. Like, and, and they have preconceived notions and they put it at the end and nobody ever calls on them. Should that stuff get scrubbed out? No, I mean, you can put it in. It doesn't really matter. You don't think you don't think it matters to reps as oh I'm not calling that one. A new a rep unless it changes accounts. Um, there's so much turnover at these accounts. Yeah, especially in today's world, that I called Pete Jansen's and Pete Jansen's was an a hole. Um, sure. Six months later, Pete Jansen I left. Might not be there anymore. What if I'm still there? Well, you're still an a-hole, but it, <laughs> it might be a it might be a different time, right? Yeah. You might have been an a-hole because um, you were just blocking me from talking about security. So, so getting back to the board, it is it really that helpful to take a week off the floor to 
come up with the different variables of scenarios that these people are going to try to stump you on. Because doesn't it seem like they're trying to stump you on something to get a gotcha to justify what they're doing? Not your board, of course. It depends. It depends on the board, right? Um, in 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 our case, the board are pretty much investors, right? Yeah. I think if you give someone cash and you take that cash, you want to some dance. You have every right to stump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if you're a board member because we want to hear your feedback. And we're giving, like, I've been a board member of some of these smaller companies where they give me some sort of worthless stock that might be worth something if it turned into anything. Um, at those companies, I shouldn't be stumped. I, I should be in a board meeting sort of inquiring about why not do this and help them um, help them grow. Right. Yeah. Uh, I could care less if I'm a board. Me- I, I as an executive should care less if a board member is there and is not an investor. I should. They should be an advisory board only. So that's not-, not how it works in the public companies. Those public companies, they assign boards, they pay them a lot of money. Very well. Very well. And these guys come in and uh, or girls come in. And I think they just want to stump you because they they want to be they want to show that they're the smartest people in the room. Yeah. But PE firms, get ready. <laughs> get ready. They they own the company, so they can sit there and ask you any questions. And I've been in board meetings with PE firms where um, the PE guy, like Pete, if you're um, if I'm a PE firm and. You're answering a question. I don't agree with your question, your answer. And it's been in a Zoom call. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I might turn, not mute myself and not care. Yeah. And be like, I honestly don't think Pete knows what he's talking about. This is just, um, we should really think about this while you're on the call because they don't <laughs> care. <laughs> and interrupt you. And guess what? They own you. So it's sort of like, get ready. Uh, if you don't know, if you don't know your stuff, so I, I get it when there's an. If you're in a dying, if you're in a dying company, you're in a dying company, and a PE firm owns you. You better go in prepared. I remember even uh, at a previous company, we would do like quarterly leader uh, uh, reports, and and um, before anyone walked into the door when I was with the executive team, the decisions were already made. <laughs> and and the one time there was a guy sitting outside the door, he could probably hear yeah. uh, the head of our company going, this guy who's about to come in here is not an ambassador for the company. He's looking out for himself and we need to treat him in that way and blah, 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 blah. And then he brings them in and, and they they have a cordial conversation, but it's not a nice conversation. But in most cases, it's sort of like 15 minutes before you walk in um, at Pete as a leader, you would walk in. The decisions were already made. You're only sitting there. You might sit there and say, I want to do this. Well, they've already decided. 
So why so why, why, hope, do, why do the meeting then? Your only hope is well, why your your only hope is if your decision is completely different from theirs, maybe you can change their mind. But their their decisions are. When, when have they ever changed their mind? No, very rarely. Okay. And the other thing is when you walk out, they sit there and say, "I don't think this person gets it." If you disagree with them, I think we need to get somebody else in here. Let's see how he does or she does for the next quarter. So you're Don't saying when you when you go up to the podium in front of these people and they ask you why should you uh, still be here and you plop six inches of paper and say this is why? Yeah, I mean, they the decisions are already made. Um, I would say... What typically happens in all meetings, especially especially with PE firms, they're bringing you in. Ninety percent of everything's already decided, and they want you to feel part of it. And then you get to decide the last ten percent. But it's a A or B decision, not A B C D or give me another option. So they want and, you to feel included. Yeah, they want you to feel included. I will also say this for anyone listening. You go into a meeting as a team, and if you're a leader, and this is hard to understand as a leader, you can go in and argue. And, and honestly, I've had problems with this myself. I'll go into a meeting and I can argue my point. But as a collective leadership team, if I lose that argument in that conference room, when I leave that conference room, that direction that we agreed to in that conference room is now my direction and my, I have to back it. Um, you can't go in there and say, I want to do this. And you say, no, nope, you got to do this. Well, I want to do this. And everyone agrees to do, go down the other path for you to survive as a leader in that company. If you don't agree with that path, leave the company. Otherwise, you have to get all on board, not the entire time say, hey, guys, we got to go this way. By the way, I think this is a better path, but we got to go this way because I'm but I mean, how are you preparing for this meeting? Because some people stay up all night and they go in with no sleep and they're not at the top of their game. And then they have to, uh, you know, dance and they may be prepared for what... They may be prepared for a thousand different iterations of the questions that'll be asked, but that thousand and one will stump them and then they fall apart. Like how, how does that help things? I don't get it. Uh, those there's people who manage up and then there's people who lead. Yeah. And what you just said to me, the people that are up all night worrying about the thousand and one questions yeah. They're not leaders, they're managing up. Yeah. The people that lead should know everything that should be thinking and living and breathing all the obstacles that are in front of them and their team. And so if they ever get a chance to say, What are your what are your thoughts on the business? They shouldn't have to prepare. Isn't that more of the thinking for a growing company versus a dying company? Because a dying company is more likely the private equity firms and you have to manage up where these are the processes and you can't get got, that type of thing. No? All right. So a dying company or a PE firm sometimes isn't just dying companies. You yeah. know, it could be a cash cow, more of a mature business. Yeah. Um, 
uh, is where PE firms buy and they they sort of try to overhaul and squeeze every dollar out of you. Yeah. And say they're, you know, hey, you're no longer growing, so stop hiring as if you're growing. You have too many GNA and all of that. I would say there is a difference. The biggest difference is with especially in today's economy, with a company that is startup or growing, is cash isn't as free as it was, right? I think we all know that. Um, And so those startups now have to place um, bets and be more strategic on the bets they place. They can't sprinkle money into different strategies and hope one of them uh, bites. They have to figure out what strategy they're going to go with and invest in that strategy and stick to it, right? Whereas before the economy, they could sprinkle it and maybe pivot every quarter saying, hey, we're going after this segment. Next quarter, they go, and now we're going after this segment because they caught you know, a fish over here. So let's all go in. All that is is a waste of money, right? Because you keep pivoting and changing your strategy. In today's economy, you got to say, I'm putting my investment in this strategy and I'm trying to make sure my burn rate is as low as possible so that if I'm wrong on the strategy I've decided in a conference room, I'm not dead as a company. Whereas in the past, you could be wrong, go get more money and bet again. Now, whatever bet you make, you better be financially secure about it to the point that you don't bankrupt the company in doing so. Yeah. If you're a PE firm or more mature business and you're going into these board meetings, you got to be prepared because they're going to be challenging you on your investments across the board and say, where do we cut is a lot of cases in a downturn. Like how do we, how do we maximize our investment? Where are we making gains? Where are we not making gains? Where are we getting our best return? And how do we get more of that return? So like, what are you preparing? Like, what should you go in knowing? Uh, For a startup, you should go in and talk about your current strategy what are the issues you're struggling with and be upfront with those issues. Don't hide, never hide problems. Those will get sniffed out immediately. And then talk about uh, you want to have an open discussion and sort of help with validation on future investments and future growth. Um, if you're with a PE firm, your preparation is to justify what you've done. Right. And and say, hey, we did this. We missed here, but we won here. And honestly, in some cases, you're just trying to like hope they stay out of your business. Because they're not involved in your day-to-day operations. They just pretend to be because they stayed at a holiday and express last night. So shouldn't it should they give you like the format of what they're looking for, or should you just be prepared for anything? Because, you know, there's some templates out there that say, look, this is what I, I want to know, and this is what I want you to present. Well. Uniform across the board. No? If you were at a PE firm, they're going to give you the exact formula they want you to do. <laughs> and you have very little, if any, 
uh, wiggle room. Leeway. Yeah, a lot of people would say, um, oh, great. I, I wish I was part of the board meeting. If you're at a PE firm, you do not want to be part of the board. <laughs> because they're usually making a determination if you're the right person or not. So they would call it the hour hot seat. So a lot of times the board meetings I'm used to with PE firms is I want to talk to the CFO. I want to talk to the CEO on a, on a monthly basis. And I want to talk to the COO or the head of finance and treasury and cash, right? On a monthly basis. On a quarterly basis, I want to have that same call with you guys. But then let's have your head of sales, your head of marketing, your head of technology, your head of product. I give them an hour each. Why? I want to sit there and hear from them. And then when they leave the room, tell the CEO, you need to go start recruiting for a new head of sales. That guy or girl is hot garbage, right? <laughs> That's really what the, the end goal is, in my opinion. So you do not want to be part of those board meetings. Not even listen in, because you listen in means you're kind of in the hot seat uh, as well. Um, if you're at a... so. The templates are there. The leeway is how you communicate your strategy and if you're communicating it out correctly or not. What if you produce and you just don't present well? If you're at a PE firm, okay, you're good. They only care about the numbers. I would say that <laughs> is no they, they, You go in front of the board, you're producing well, but you go up and then you don't answer any of their intricate questions. Then what? Well, hopefully you have a great CEO who covers for you, right? I mean, if you don't, I'm sorry, you can only do so much. But um, at a PE firm, they don't care as long as you produce, in my opinion. The numbers are the numbers. And if you're crushing it, they might sit there and say, this guy, the, the question will be, is this guy or girl winning in spite of themselves? Or is the market that good? Yeah, is the market that good? Is it, you know, like, let's be honest, we've been in a company where it was menu sales, right? And it was like, what do you want today? You know, when you get in that flywheel effect, kind of, it's great for a salesperson because it's easy to sell. So your commission checks are great. It's not great to learn how to sell because all you're doing is saying, what do you want next? And, um, and it really, really impedes sales egos <laughs> because they sit there and say, wow, I really am a great salesperson because I called all 10 customers and nine of them bought. Well, all you did was call, you know what I mean? And it's amazing to be in the flywheel effect. And you and I have experienced that. Um, and the aftermath of the flywheel effect is very arrogant sales reps that don't really know how to sell. They're all arrogant. <laughs> but they'll sit there and say, I hit quota and I went on club trip every single year for five years in a row. And it's like, okay, um, great. What have you done for me lately? Right. It's <laughs> I already paid you for the work that you did. Those results are gone. Now it's, you know, about the future, right? Mm -hmm. You got to remember, though, that's how it works. That's how it should work. But at a certain point, when you get in that flywheel effect for two or three years, the guys that are asking the questions, 
are the guys that were sales reps before not true operators and they 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 look at historical performance and have um you know bias because they like you you think we'll always have board meetings yes why um, I think it's a check-in with outside uh, people outside the company to sort of tell you what they think is good and what they think is bad. Like, I think there is some benefit to a board meeting. What is it? Gets your organization, it gets your leaders organized, uh, hopefully on the same page, because that gets exposed if they're not, and uh, helps validate that your leaders are doing the right things or at least able to communicate out the strategy to someone outside of the firm. If it's that important, then why is it only every 90 days? Uh, micromanagement. I think 90 days might be too much. I think they should do it every six months because Name a company that can change and pivot. You get to a certain size, you know, over over what? Probably 20, 30, 40 employees. You can't, maybe 50 employees. You can't pivot and change your process and see success every single month. You need at least 90 days, probably more like six months to sort of validate whatever you're doing. Is it like a board there to override a process that was put in place earlier well what are those so we're going to grow by x percent this is what we think the market is and if the market isn't this then we're going to adjust to this it seems to me these smart people should be able to get all these things down at the once a year and, and, and let it play out, figure out the scenarios. How are we going to act with this? How are we going to do this? Or there's just too many variables that could go into play that you need humans in there to interact. I, I think there's a couple things you need, right? You need humans to interact for two reasons. One, in a perfect economy that never has ups and downs, I would 100% agree with you. In a down economy, when the economy is bad, um, these board members shouldn't just be board members with you. They're probably board members with 20, 30 accounts, right? They, you, like, I feel like this happens in a lot of companies. When the economy turns south, everyone in the company gets down on each other. You're not winning, especially in the go-to-market space. You're not winning as much. It really is damaging to the culture. Like, you're not celebrating wins as much. You're all getting angry at each other. You're feeling like someone's not doing what they should be doing. You're looking at this stuff and looking at that stuff. You pull up to a board meeting and a board meeting should be able to tell you, hey, by the way, numbers aren't great, but nor are anybody's numbers right now that we're dealing with. So we feel your pain and sort of say, guys, keep going. We're going to we're so there's gonna, a benchmark that you compare your progress. Yeah, so they benchmark. And then what what should bleed back is the executive should come back and be like, hey guys, let's be nicer to each other. Because the echo chamber inside the company is always 
Uh, I always feel like it's negative, uh, you know, somebody's falling apart when the entire economy is going bad. If we know what our benchmark is and we are following behind the benchmark, that like, don't we want to be proactive to say this is what we're going to do in advance, then wait till it happens and then figure out what to do? That's what I'm questioning. But yeah, but I don't think anyone knows. You you talk to a you know Q one of twenty twenty two. Yeah. Right. The question was, um, when is the economy going to go south? Right. Some people said six months. Some people said three months. Some people said we got runway for two more years. The economy went south almost two months after March, like in April and May, almost instantaneously. So that means the other benchmarks went down too. Yeah, but you need that check-in to understand, hey, there's a panic. Like at that point, there's a panic. When the economy first turns south, there's a panic button that everyone presses. Right. Oh crap! We need to readjust and and we right need there, to- readjust. How do we know? Like, what's the readjustment? Like, why why are we waiting there to readjust? Why can't that be done earlier? Like, we burn August, September, October, November to figure out what the quotas are, to figure out what the plan is for next year. Why can't we just say if our revenue falls to this, if our cash flow falls to this, based on the benchmark companies like this? Why can't we already know what we're going to do? Why should it be a surprise when we're, we're laying off people? Because it comes down to that secret board meeting and say, okay, we're going to cut off 20%. I don't care who you do who you do it to. Then it, it, it's it's going down to the lower level leaders who keep their buddies on and let the good the, the you know the producers go. My point is, why do we have to wait for these events to happen with these board members? Can it be done in like a true planning session that this is how we're going to run out the year or it's just not possible to do? Well, I think, one, it's kind of hard to do because you can't predict the future. You don't know how bad it's going to get until the like I would say right now, the economy with us going through inflation, which inflation is still there, but it's stabilized. SVB Bank then caused a ripple effect, you know, on the banking problems that seems to have stabilized. The economy's not great, but it's 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 stabilized. I guess what I'm saying is, if you go to AI and say, "Hey, look, if interest rates are this, infl- inflation is this, the job market is this, our results are this, and this is our benchmark," can't you do like a model play out how we're going to react to a situation? And the only time you do that during a planning session once a year. And then if something comes in out of the ordinary that wasn't planned, then you bring all these geniuses together. Well, no, there's different types of businesses. There's run rate businesses, transactional volume type businesses, and then there's big deal businesses. Which one do you think is more volatile? The big deal businesses, right? Yeah. What you just said works in like a run rate type of a business but in a big deal business it doesn't make it's kind of impossible to predict even in good times right well, um, if we're, are we benchmarking against similar companies yeah yes but like 
I don't think AI is going to produce anything. I will say this. In a PE firm, it is clear. It is clear as mud. Not clear as mud. The opposite of clear as mud. But it is clear as can be what you are going to do. I, and at the end of the day, you're going to cut. You're going to cut to get to the bottom line that you need to get to. And it's sort of like, I don't, it, there's no care. It's if you have to cut half your staff, you're preparing to cut half your staff, unless the PE firm says, I'll give you a break. But otherwise, um, you're cutting half your staff. Okay. But you should know that ahead of time because of the market conditions. Part of the, Part of the, some of these PE firms, that's their secret sauce on what they do, right? So they're not going to tell you, right? Well, agreed. But the PE firm also, you know, for anyone who's not in sales, for the most part, they get paid um, based on EBITDA. Um, yeah. And cash EBITDA, you can say even be more tight with that. And they'll say, we're not going to pay you a bonus unless you get to 95% of what you agreed to get to and what does that mean that means so you're are you are you saying that you and i can't build build a a model that says based on all these things this is your advisory board for the year and even if it's a huge uh trans transaction company or low transaction company with high ticket deals this I, i'm Give me the number one reason why it can't be automated going forward. Is it just the people part of it, the pinkware? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Pete. If this was that easy, then we would know exactly when the economy is going to turn around. I mean, but, we have. But, but, but what I'm hold on, Carney, I'm not trying to give you a hard time. But if you put the if the economy does this, we will act this way. If it's very good, we'll act this way. If it's very bad, we'll act this way. Are you saying we can't do that? Well, I think everyone does that. It's just a matter of like, the question is not what to do when the economy is bad and good. The question is, when is the economy going to get better or when is the economy going to get worse? So it's more of that. Like, if if the banking problem didn't occur, I would have thought, the I, I felt like the economy, at least in the tech software space, was starting to recover. And then SVB Bank came and sort of stalled everything, right? I'm starting to feel there's legs back to the economy. Feel. I don't know. I just, the conversations seem to be better. We're creating better pipeline. It's like you can see it in the numbers a little bit, but there's more of a feeling to it. Like, I feel like we have better conversations going on. Um, I feel like, I mean, we're going to have a record-breaking quarter this this quarter. You know, like, it it feels better, right? That if you told me six months ago, um, I'd be like, man, this is rough. <laughs> when SVB Bank came, it was sort of like, okay. Did you call that a black swan then? Yeah, probably. I mean, that, but, but things like that always occur, right? Like... My a bad economy breaks other things. I would say this: the problems. Here's here's the reality. Here, here, uh, an investment advisor will tell you you will have a very bad year every once every ten years. That's what a, an investment guy will tell you. Okay. You, you, are you telling me you can't bake that in? 
Even if you don't know when you don't know when that year is. Right. But you know what's going to happen 10% of the time. Well, here, here's what I would say. During good times, and this is really important. During good times, good times cover up the warts in your company. Right? And if you don't address those warts and try to cure those warts, and instead you're going out and golfing and having great dinners and and celebrating too much rather than being critical on your own business, all the bad, all the um, all the bad economy does is exposes the warts within your company that were there before. It's not new. It's just things that were covered up because winning covers up losing. When you start losing, all of that gets discovered. So what you should be doing is be as stressful and and critical of yourself during good times. So that when it's bad times, you're you, you're running in a much better situation. No, know when you should spend money. Know when you should not spend money, and don't rely on your wiggle room and fudge to get you by. Agreed. But all right, that's great. So tech, tech in go to market spaces. Uh, I think it was like ten years ago. It was eight, yeah. eight, eight software solutions for uh, any company. It's over a hundred right now. Why? Because we had a good run and people were just buying technology right and left. They didn't need it. You should be as rigid as possible during the good times that you are in the bad times and only buy the technology that you need. You can maybe test out technology you don't need, but test it out and make sure you purge it as soon as uh, that test is done. Instead, we're, we wasted a lot of tech dollars in we buying stuff that we never implemented. Again, we don't know when we should spend or when we should cut. What is the rhyme or reason to add sales headcount? What's the, the rhyme or reason to cut headset sales count? My What I think is that if you know why you should add people, then you should budget it that you know a tough time is going to come, that you keep those people around in the tough times because the sales training, the uploading uh, costs of everything, that you have to go back out and hire it's it's a it's a waste of time and money. Do you agree or disagree? To a point. That seems we, to be, um, that I, seems I agree with you to a point. The the problem is going to be that if you have too many sales reps and the pie is shrunk, what you're going to do is kill your culture because those reps are going to be pissed because they can't make money off of the accounts that are there today. So if you're going to keep people on, mm-hmm. Um, because you're expecting a year from now or six months from now the economy to rebound, you better figure out a way to make them happy during that time and not just keep them on to keep them on because what will happen is they'll start talking to each other and they'll bring everyone down with them. Well, I'm not talking about the top 5%. I'm not even talking about the top 30%. I'm talking about the middle. I know. And 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 the and the bottom five percent they can go pound sand, but what puts what you're talking about culture when you make cuts with no rhyme or reason you say oh go to floor number five you go to floor number six if you go to five you're getting canned. Yeah, That's not really good for for culture. Then you then it's like oh things are better so now I got to hire now. And it's going to take a year to ramp up these people. That's a year of when the economy is getting better where you could make sales, right? So I, I just don't understand this. 
It seems like to be the same process. Maybe it's tied tied to the uh, quarterly earnings calls for the, these public companies. That's why. Uh, it pretty much is. Now, yeah. I, I will say this: when you when you do cut as a company, when you do cut, and I've seen it done correctly, and I've seen it done incorrectly. When you cut, make sure you try to do it once. <laughs> cut if you're going to cut. Cut deeper if you're at the beginning of the recession. Cut deeper than you think, because it's the beginning of the recession. It's probably going to get worse. But if you have to cut and then cut again six months later, um, you can. It's just a horrible time. Um, because then, guess what? You'll have the worst culture ever. Everyone's looking over their shoulder, and everyone's backstabbing each other to keep their job. No one's ever comfortable, even in the good times. Um, if ChatGPT can get the informa information 80% right, then we should be able to get it 80% right, putting a system into place. Because if everybody knows what's going to happen, you know, people... Anxiety is fear of the unknown. If you say this is the plan and we're gonna, this is how we're gonna roll. If you're coming in at this level, you'll be one of the first ones cut. And there's differentiation. I think that will change a lot of uh, attitudes. That's just my two cents, Carney. Yeah. How we how we waltzed into to the boards here. Another riveting episode of the uh, Sassholes podcast, Carney. Thank you for joining us with your wisdom. Do you think uh, you think you should if you come up with a prompt and you get information from ChatGPT, should you own that information? Yeah, I think you're you, as long as you're coaching the ChatGPT through that response. Yeah, I, I think that's the next one we're gonna have to figure out on, on on legal and patents and all that stuff. We have fun times ahead, Carney. I think you own I think you own it from your perspective, but they own the underlining data to make better decisions. The they future. say they don't own anything. Chat GBT says that, right? We'll see. All right, Carney, I'm sure they got us three viewers. You have a uh, great rest of your day there, Carney. All right. Adios. Value. Show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one and three, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week four, all go-to-market team kick off and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment. Weeks five to seven, collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset. Week eight, all go-to-market team presentation and discussion. Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brent and say Big Pete sent you.